You're listening to Transform Your Profits, the podcast for accountants who want to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. Your host is Reza Huda, a practice owner, mentor, and coach to accounting firm owners. Hello, hello. Hope you are well. I've had a good start to the day so far. So this is another one of my accountants live episode where I interview another accountant who is doing great things. And today, my guest is Ariona B. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce her surname because I'll probably get it wrong. Suffice to say, Ariona B has, uh, has achieved so much in her young life already. She is only 30 years old. And she runs a practice with nearly 1,600 clients. And that is a phenomenal number. So if you think you're overwhelmed and stressed with everything you have going on with your clients, then think again, because Ariona has a fair few clients to deal with. She's got a team of 19 and also a young family as well. So in this conversation, I'll be talking to Ariona about her backstory, which is very interesting. How she got to where she got to in terms of being at the helm of the family business how she manages everything in terms of the clients that the firm has to deal with and the team that she manages as well, and how they underwent a huge digitalization exercise when they had 2,000 clients before she started to cull them back to the number today and continues to do so. So very enlightening conversation. I'm sure you'll find it valuable. So let's uh, let's get stuck straight in and I'll see you on the other side. Take care. First of all, hello, Ariona. Good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Rosalind. Thank you to everyone for, for joining as well. Hopefully, this will be a valuable session. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll be able to say we'll help somebody, even if it's one person. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to it. Absolutely. Fantastic. And uh, someone has just confirmed that Accountex is tomorrow. Thank you for that. Brill. Okay. So let's get started to begin with right at the beginning. Ariona, tell us uh, a little bit about you, your journey to uh, becoming, you know, the owner of uh, of Majors Accounts and, and leading this firm. Let's listen to a little bit of your backstory and then uh, I'll chime in with a few questions as, uh, as, you, as you get going sure sure so majors accounts is a family-run practice so my dad started it um, in 2006 i was 13 at the time and um he just to give you a bit of background it's called majors accounts because he was major of the army uh back home from albania where we're from nice. so hence why it's called majors so you can imagine what it was like living with a major <laughs> in your household right um so his idea was you're 13 now you need to understand what it's like to learn you know earn your own living and you know work hard for for the money that you're going to earn so it's about time now it's been forever you need to start coming to work um it helped that he started his business at that time and i was his part-time bookkeeper so um saturdays sundays any holidays I was always at the business helping out uh, and his way of teaching me was not how he taught everybody else. His way was, here you go, do this. And obviously at that age, I was like, do what with it? <laughs> I've got no clue kind of thing. He was like, figure it out. And I said, figure what out? At least give me an idea of what I need to do. Um, and he said, if I wasn't here, what would you do? And at that point, I was like, I'd be at home watching TV. I'm not going to lie. But, um, you know, it was trial and error, literally so many tears. Every time I think I've got it and I'd say, take it to him on Excel, he'd delete the whole file. He'd start again. It's all wrong. Even if I had some things that were right in there, 
just doing the same exercise over and over again. So it wasn't necessarily the most um, positive experience for me at the start. Obviously now, you know, that, that kind of um, learning has really helped me later on down the line because I know that whatever happens, I may not know something, but I know that I can find out. <laughs> I have to figure mm. it out somehow, right? Um, but that's Absolutely. something that you would want to experience at that age. Um, but, you know, going through kind of school and everything, I, initially I wanted to be a lawyer, but he said, well, we need an accountant. We've got the business, you know, you've got no choice. So I went into accountancy that way. But I guess over the years of working, it kind of, it's in your blood, it's ingrained in you. So you start to enjoy it anyway, regardless. So um, when I finished school, I went straight into ACCA and um, was working full time at the same time uh, because I thought with ACCA, it was like three exams per sitting. And I thought at school, we've been doing so many more things. Three exams is nothing. I'll be able to cruise through this. Obviously, I was shocked when I actually started to sit the exams. But honestly, since 13 till a couple of years ago, I've been studying and working at, alongside each other. Um, and I completed my ACC, ACCA exam and did a, a, a master's in accounting and finance at the same time whilst finishing my last few exams and working. Um, and then I kind of got my passion for law back and I did a law degree, but linked with accountancy. So in uh, international banking and finance. And then after that, I was like, what do I do? If I'm not studying, all I'm doing is working. What do I do with all this free time? So uh, I did one last degree and that was at Oxford, but that was more of something that I wanted. I had a dream of as a child. Mm. I thought, let me apply. The worst they can say is no. Um, if it's a nose, I'm already not doing it, right? <laughs> so I actually got in and uh, did that. And um, yeah, now my studying days are over. But during this time, I also had my daughter, who's now nine years old. Um, I also got involved in kind of property development on the side as well. So I was really kind of super busy with everything. But I think that's what keeps me going. And um, mm. doing all of these things, they have actually helped, I think, with now taking over the business so i took over in 2019 officially um, yeah. but i had been doing work in the background because the business was your typical traditional firm you know clients came in we have clients in ireland that would take a plane to come see us once a year or twice a year whatever it might have been um excel was our main piece of software <laughs> we did we used sage a little bit but it was only for the really big clients you know everyone else is on excel um and yeah so clients coming in to see us there are times where in our office the reception area looked like a gp practice like <laughs> many people sitting there waiting and the way that my dad had built it we grew over time um quite quite rapidly we got to a team of 25 at one point actually um and but he was a bottleneck because he was the only one communicating with clients so he was the only mm -hmm. one trusted and it meant that someone would come in to pick up a payslip, waiting queue to ask him for the payslip. And then once they've got it, waiting queue to ask him, is it correct? Because that employee of yours just gave it to me. So, you know, it, it was a, the way that it was built was really difficult for us to kind of manage the business. And my dad was working seven days a week for many, many years. So when I kind of started to digitize the practice in the background before I took over, my goal was to not be working seven days a week. Why are we making ourselves flexible for everybody else? But we need a life as well, right? At some point, 
that's why we're running our own business <laughs> essentially why are we working more than if we were working for someone else so i had a completely different vision of what i wanted the business to do and um, i started digitalization process i think being with uh, working with family it's not easy because especially i'd say my biggest locker was my dad for the first two three years of making this change because this was his baby right that he started from scratch from nothing and um, making all these changes it was scary for him because he thought no one's going to want to work in that way they're all going to leave and i'm going to lose the business that i've spent so many years building up um so yeah he was i'd say the most difficult <laughs> person within within this process mm. Fantastic. No, great. Thank you. Thank you for that, uh, that backstory and, uh, yeah, kind of your journey into getting to kind of the helm of the firm. So, so now kind of talking in terms of the practical aspect. So you, you know, you now come in in 2019 and you're in charge and you've got all these clients, you know, you with MTD, you've got to digitalize and, you know, what does, what does that look like? I mean, you know, if your dad was a bottleneck, presumably going from him to you now that power has been transferred, what, how do you go about managing so many clients who just want to speak to you? What did you kind of, what was the thought process? How did you actually then transition from, you know, not having to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day? Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that was super difficult because everyone was used to speaking to him. Then uh, initially to get clients used to me being there, because they, they'd seen me around, right? But it's not a case of me have, I didn't really have that many direct conversations with clients earlier on. So um, what we did to introduce that is I would be in meetings with my dad and he would say, you know, she's here because she's taken over, you can speak to her. So, and whilst in that meeting, we'd both speak, both have conversations with the clients. So they would start to get more comfortable with me. Slowly, slowly, they started to build up that trust with me. So they would speak to me as well. So then we had two people that they could speak to. Um, but I then carried that through to the team as well, because I did not want to build the same business. I wanted to make sure that the rest of the team can deal with the clients and where there are kind of issues or things that need me to get involved. That's where I would need to get involved, not for every little thing. So um, I would get my team um, in with me, depending on what we were talking about with the clients. And I'd say, this is the person you need to speak to if you need a payslip, if you need accounts, if you need VATs, whatever it might be. And then when they come, they would come to the office, sit them down at their desk. After they've been introduced to them, you don't need to come and let's sit in my office, sit down next to them, discuss. I'd probably stay there for about five, 10 minutes just to make sure they're okay. And then after that, that's kind of how they, they would never really come to see me anymore. And for my dad, he was like, why is no one speaking to me anymore? <laughs> I was like, that's the whole point. You don't need to be here because they have people who are dealing with their case day in, day out. They know the relevant questions to ask. We don't need them to translate it to you and then you translate it to the client. Um, so that's kind of how we went about trying to transfer that communication to the whole office. So we wouldn't need to be there 24 seven, which then gave us a lot of free time to focus on other things. So mm. not necessarily working in the business, then we moved to working on the business. And this was the first time that we had treated our business as a business. It was always us helping all of our clients with their businesses, but what about our own? We need to focus on how can we make this a lot more efficient and make it work for us. 
Um, so that was when the digitalization process came in. And to be honest, with the digitalization, it was a very reactive approach to the law it, that was, you know, we, we were hearing about. At that point, when we started, I think it was about 2017, when I started to look into it, not many people were talking about it. You know, you'd have maybe a handful of accountants that were digital or saying that they were digital, but the majority were working, I'd say, in a similar kind of way um, to us, or at least the people that we knew in our network. And um, when I went to QuickBooks Connect that year, for me, it was an eye-opener, not for MTD, but actually we could completely transform our business to make it work for us, but also help our clients businesses and then we could look at more you know having structured conversations because something that we would all we, we've always done advisory that just became came part and parcel of what we were doing anyway but it's not something that was distinguished it was expected within the fee you know i want to speak to you whenever i need um whatever issues i have i'll come down we'll discuss them and yeah it's fine um, but this allowed us to then free up some time to identify things before clients needed them so then we could call them in and say, we have these suggestions. And it's been great because for clients, it seems that, well, not it seems, but it is actually that we are taking the time to see what's going on in their business and make possible suggestions and changes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's how I kind of went through the digitalization process. It wasn't difficult with the, sorry, it wasn't easy with um, clients initially. Um, but one thing that I learned was clients don't really rem- might they don't mind what you're using right they just need the job done essentially so um we focused on ensuring that internally our processes were tight our team were comfortable with using them and that's kind of one of the things that was me the most difficult is our team trying to get them on board because they would look sideways to their to other practices and no one else was doing this so they said why everything that we've got in place works right now we have a successful business we've got at that point we had well over 2000 clients um and you know the team was pretty big everything was working okay they were doing everything manually but it felt like we were getting stuff done um so that was the biggest change and throughout that i'd say from the journey when we started to now we have three or four people left from the original mm. um so there's a, there's a big change in the structure in terms of the, the people you have. And also you you clearly realize that it's not feasible and possible to carry so many clients. And some, I guess, were not uh, kind of willing to make the change, able to make the change, not a right fit for the practice anymore. So I know many, uh, many practices, uh, uh, you know, go through this process where, you know, at the start, they take on anyone and everyone. And then they because they, you know, they're friends and family, and they do it for next to nothing. And they soon realize that, oh, my God, we've got too many clients, and we're not getting paid enough. And now we're working crazy hours for not enough money. And they start to kind of go through that process of, you know, repricing, cutting clients and things like that. So on that point, what kind of practical things did you do to take your client base from the 2000 to what is it 1347 yeah. that it is today <laughs> you know what that today what are the what are the practical things that you did that you know perhaps others can kind of learn from because it, it's a scary thing right like you said yeah. you know you know losing losing fees is is never good yeah. uh, or or never it never kind of it, it doesn't feel good because you, you know you feel that you know if you reprice and you lose a client losing income you know just kind of having the confidence to do that and having the confidence to know that okay fine i'm getting rid of this client because it's not a good fit 
but I'm making way and making room for a better client with a better fee to come along. So talk us through some of the practical steps. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you won't find many people that are proud of the fact that they're counting down the numbers <laughs> of clients. But um, with us, it's exactly it's exactly that. You know, we're providing a really good service, if I'm honest. You know, clients can contact us whenever they like, and we always answer. Um, with especially when you look at nowadays, if you try to call a lawyer or anyone else, they won't answer for weeks, and it's expected. And you know, whereas with us, they can call us three times in a day, and we're there, kind of thing. So this is not something that you can feasibly carry on with low fees because our fees are way too low. And at one, I think we hadn't increased them in like eight years or so, which is absolutely ridiculous, you know. So, but what kind of started this was we would we had so many clients and there was just no money coming in so it was a case of where do we find out what's going on kind of with the, our pricing or are we possibly doing something wrong within the practice maybe it's we've got certain clients that are not the right fit or we should be working in a better way you know there is clearly an issue going on um and the first thing i did was i split the company into three departments depending on the uh, type of client industries that we were working on um two that were construction was a big one for us um and then we had some other departments but one was others that kind of brought everyone else together which had um, hospitality financial services companies it all, all sorts all together in one department now that department had the most staff in it the most paperwork um and the, the most clients essentially but we found out that that department was generating £10,000 a month loss, which the other two departments had to fund, essentially. So there is a huge issue. So it was a case of if we get rid of that whole department, we'll still be £10,000 better off, right? So um, we decided, I just thought, let's triple their fees because these were hospitality paying us literally peanuts for all of the work that we were doing. And especially at that point where it was all manual. So we're physically mm. typing in these receipts, right? Like we're using Dext or anything like that. Um, so we tripled everyone's fees and I thought if they leave, they leave, you know, we'll still be better off. 5% left. Wow. The others, I, I was actually intrigued. And I said, how come you're not like, how come you're staying? I've tripled your fee. I, I was genuinely interested myself they said well we're really happy with the service i couldn't determine what price you want to charge me you told me it's that so why would i say no i want to pay more it, at that point as a revelation i was like wow yeah this is where we have gone so wrong we haven't valued ourselves and the work that that we are actually doing um so obviously that department <laughs> had a huge huge change um from that but after that, what we also did is we started to look at the actual clients and we adopted obviously processes and all of the software to help make that those departments and the others um, a lot a lot more efficient. But then we started to think, okay, clearly these people really like our service. We're doing something right that we tripled their fees and they're happy to stay with us. Um, so let's have a look at our other clients. Who do we want to work with? How much are we charging them? What kind of work are we doing? And going through all of these, then thinking, who is our ideal client? Based on all of these, what would our, our ideal client be? Once we identified that, then anyone who started to kind of, you, you always get those clients that give you loads of issues, right? So that 80-20 rule where 20% of the clients give you 80% of the issues, it was being confident to say my way or the highway. 
essentially we're not going to change how we're going to work you either work in this new way with our new pricing or not at all and actually we found the majority didn't really have that much of an issue so it became kind of difficult for us to start getting rid of those clients but it was a mixture of these and what we're doing now even i guess we're, we're seeing the huge benefits especially now but we would be able to um stop working with let's say five clients and take on one client that was really good that was probably paying more than those five put together so it was mm. recycling and obviously you don't i've got rid of a lot of clients but that's over a couple of years i didn't want to get rid of everybody straight away because that would be a, a huge hit to turnover and things like that but it's recycling as we get on a client that actually works really well and is our ideal client is a proper fee to allow us to make a profit out of it as well and then also give back to the employees um, because they're working here and the only way we can increase their prices is if we get more income their sorry their salaries if we get mm. more income so um, and obviously reduce their workload as much as possible to make it more enjoyable for them so they then kind of go more into detail into what they're doing it's not a case of i'm just doing it to get rid of this deadline and that's it but really go that extra step um so that's how we've kind of done it over the last few years and now we're seeing a huge influx of inquiries uh of clients who are our ideal clients but now we also have that confidence to say if it seems like they're probably not going to work how we want um then we have the option to say, I'm really sorry, but I don't think we're the right people for you. Or if we don't know them that well, then um, for all clients anyway, we say there's a three month probationary period. So it's turning <laughs> it on its head because a lot of accountants and just like we were for many years, we will do all of your work for you. Don't worry, just come, we'll make, we'll bend over backwards to make sure that you know, you've got what you need. But now it's no, there's three months. If you work as, we have set out your expectations and then we will have our own expectations of what we're going to do. Um, if after those three months it's working well, perfect. If it's not, we need to discuss, is there any point of us going forward together in this relationship? Because we're not going to be happy because we're not getting the information as we requested. We can't then provide you the information that we think we can make, uh, we can provide to make a difference to your business. You're not going to be happy because I promised you we would do X, Y, Z at the start. So, you know, neither of us would get anything out of this relationship. So it's better off to, to not go any further. And I think that this way of speaking to clients has really helped because no one would really say to you, I don't want your business, right? <laughs> if they're mm. saying this to you, that means they're confident in, in what they can provide. So myself as well, I would be intrigued to see what does this mean? I want to see, you know, how far does this go? What can we do? Is this actually something that, you know, can help me? So that that's kind of what we're experiencing right now. And it's great to have that confidence to do this, to speak to new clients and existing clients as well. You have that, that backing that you know what you're talking about. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm so, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, price is that most, it's the most powerful lever of the profit equation. When you put your price up, that immediately flows through to your bottom line. And I'm so glad you said that you tripled your prices, but only 5% left. Yeah. And that's a confidence issue. And like you say, if you don't ask, you don't get. If you don't ask for a higher price, how will you ever get it? Because the only calculation going on in our clients' minds is, is the price I am paying less 
than the value I am getting. We don't know what value means to our clients. So it's all about, you know, their maximum willingness to pay. That's value for them. And if you're confident in the value you're providing, the service that you're providing, then you should be confident to charge an adequate price for it and then let the client decide whether it represents value for them or not. And you clearly realize that, yes, it's still, you know, it's still uh, represented good value for money and most of them stay. So that's a big takeaway for, for those of you listening, still a bit nervous about carrying out that repricing exercise. Just do it. <laughs> you believe in your service and believe in your value, do it. Because if you don't ask, you don't get. Hey, just a quick break to tell you about a tool I use that has helped us to save hours and enable me to create a pricing system incorporating all the stuff that I've learned about value pricing over the years. That tool is called Go Proposal. What I love about it is that we can build the price in person with the prospect and then with a click of a button, send them the proposal and engagement letter instantly during the meeting. That's literally saved us hours of time from how we used to do it before. Not only that, but also, because I can build pricing models in the software, anyone in my team can now have pricing conversations and send proposals to prospects and clients that has helped to free me up to do things that I love, like creating this podcast for you. If you're not already using it, I recommend you check it out. Brilliant. Okay, so let's um, let's move on, because you've still got lots of clients to deal with. How do you... How do you kind of split those clients with the team that you have? So just talk us through kind of numbers of uh, team members that you have and approximately how many clients each team members deal with and what kind of structure you've got going on so that you've transitioned that kind of client communication relationship away from you to your team and how much of that have you done? Sure. So we've got 19 staff at the moment. Um, when the way that the, the, the team take that on was it's something that I did at the same time as splitting the business into three departments because initially everyone did everything. A job came in, it was, okay, I'll just allocate it to that person because they're free right now, um, which doesn't necessarily work as well as now we've got those three departments. So there are a team that deal with that particular industry. So one, they've become specialists in that industry. They know it in and out. Um, you don't have to, you don't have a whole team that know a little bit about everything, but not not specialists in anything. So now we know if, if a construction client comes in, I've got to send it to the construction team. There's a head of the team there who's um, got obviously a lot more experience and uh, the rest of the team also, so they work on the same department, but they all do everything from A to Z. So they have that experience in not having to wait around for, oh no, I only do VATs. You're gonna have to speak to somebody else to do accounts or speak to somebody else to do payroll. So they will do, everything from A to Z. So if a client calls, they're able to speak to them regarding whatever the client queries. And they act as essentially the, the portfolio manager for a set number of clients, but they've always got that support of their manager if they need any um, help. And then it comes to me if they consult it out. But that that's kind of how we're split um, as a team. And do you, how do you decide numbers wise? So in terms of is it like a pod of two or three people and you decide, well, okay, you know, each pod can handle, I don't know, a few hundred thousand pounds of fees or a number of clients. How do you, how do you kind of judge how many clients or how much revenue a certain department can, can handle? Um, well, to be honest, each department, it's based on how many clients we have, right? The construction sector, as I mentioned, is a big department for us. So that's the biggest team. Um, so they deal with all of those construction clients 
depending on who can deal with what, it depends on how much information, on how much work the client needs. So there is one person that only deals with, let's say, 10 to 15 businesses, but they are massive businesses and they are the same as, you know, let's say 30, 40 that are, are a lot smaller. Um, so it, it depends on how much work each individual client needs. Um, mm. And I guess technically the turnover will be pretty even that way, you know, with a client, with a team member that's only got a few because they're big clients, equates to the same as those who are smaller. So they've got less work to do. They're able to take on more clients. Cool. So is, is there a kind of, you work, is there a benchmark of like, you know, three, four, five times the salaries of a department that that's how many, how much revenue they would be managing ballpark? Or is it just a case of, well, you know, we, we just give them as much work as they can handle. And when they shout and say, we can't handle any more, then we'll take on new stuff. Uh, well, we've already taken on quite a few new stuff, to be honest, recently. But um, it, it is at the moment, um, just whilst we're recycling, because I've still got a lot to go go down. <laughs> Although we have 1,300 clients now, I would like to get that down, you know, a lot more, three, 400 clients less would be great. Um, well, it should help. So, uh, sorry, just to answer that question from Carol on that topic as well then. So how do you, is it just the case of you reprice them and just price them out? Or is there another way that some clients you don't even bother repricing, you just want to get rid of? How do you communicate to clients that uh, you don't want to do with them anymore? So there are, so, the, the easiest way is repricing to be honest, saying that we can no longer service you at this price. If you would like to stay with us, this is your new fee. And on top of that, you need to make sure that you are working with all of these apps in a digital way. We won't accept anything any other way. For some clients, that's just too much in one go. They can't handle all of that. So they'll just say, no, I'll find somebody else, which is great. Those that want to stay, then that allows, uh, gives us the opportunity to take on more staff to service them because they're going to be um, a lot more profitable so we can afford to do that so we can spread out some of that um, workload to mm. there have been clients that have actually been really difficult to to get rid of so it has been a case of being on their case okay you want to stay that's fine you agree to all of these things however i'm going to review on a weekly basis you promise me you're going to send me this you promise me so you give them chances if it doesn't happen then you say listen at this point we can do nothing else for you and it's better we part ways and um, send a disengagement letter. Obviously that conversation has to be had anyway before. We wouldn't wanna just send a disengagement letter to anybody, but you say, I've asked you to do this, you promised, we've given you how many chances, you haven't. We're also running a business, and this is something that um, we never said to clients before. And since we've started to, I guess it's all, all about how you communicate, right? When you tell them that I'm running a business too, how much do you pay your staff, like whatever business it might be? These are professionals that have got degrees and so on, and you're expecting us to provide you a service for less than, let's say, one of your employees that might not do something on a technical level that, that we are doing. So when you speak to them in this way, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. How have you been pricing me, you know, giving me that kind of fee all this time? It needs to be higher, but I can't afford it. So, you know, we have to part ways. Mm, it, it's absolutely. And it depends on the client, right? Yeah, for sure. And so in terms of how much, how much do you still get involved in on the tools work and the technical side? And I'm guessing that's less and less. So how do you go about kind of how did you get because I guess your dad was involved in all of the client relationships? How do you start kind of 
what kind of team do you have in place? Who, what kind of people did you hire to ensure that those client relationships could be comfortably and adequately passed on to another team member so you don't have to work as much in the practice and be confident that they would, the client would receive the same level of service and care that you would provide yourself. Talk us through some of that. So we, changed, we changed our structure of the of the business. So we had a very flat structure where it was my dad and then everybody else was on the same level. So um, we put in a more of a hierarchical structure. So I'm there for when needed for emergencies, for something that cannot be fixed. And um, the client has, just, has gone through everybody and no one is able to sort it out. So that's where I would step in. Um, I have a practice manager who is in charge of all three departments. And then within each department, there is a team lead, which helps that team with whatever queries that they should have. They should be able to, to kind of sort 95% of problems out within the team. Um, but obviously if not, then it goes up to the practice manager and then it would come to me. Um, this way, one, each uh, member of each team has a portfolio of clients, so they build that relationship. They're always speaking to one person, and that's an issue that we had when we first kind of started to change our structure and everyone was doing anything. It was a case of a client calling and saying, one minute I'm speaking to this person, then I'm speaking to that person. Can I just get through to somebody who knows what my business is doing? So that's kind of eliminated that issue. So there is um, that one person that will speak to them, but don't forget that person may not know everything, right? But we don't step in and then take over that relationship with the client, including the team lead. They would say, let me get back to you. They go speak to the team lead and say, they've asked me X, Y, Z, I'm not sure. That forms part of the training. You tell them, well, you need to tell them this, you need to tell them that. So they go back and then speak to the client. So it helps to build that confidence for the client in our team members as well. And for them as well, they're learning new things every day, including how to communicate with those clients. So it becomes easier to manage those relationships because if we did it any other way, we'd still have, let's say, the team lead creating a bottleneck. You know, they don't want to speak to the portfolio manager anymore. They want to speak just to the team lead because they found that he seems to know what he's talking about. So I only want to speak to him. So it's ensuring you don't get in the way of those relationships. And then, yeah, the only way it would come to me is if there was a huge issue that no one else can fix which happens sometimes but at least it allows me to be in the background from anywhere <laughs> not necessarily have to speak to our clients as well um, on a regular basis and um, it can help me kind of focus in the background see what we can do to be more efficient or you know who needs that extra assistance or help within the team as well yeah yeah, that's fantastic. Now that that's key, really, to get each each team member involved in those client relationships to give them that uh, that ownership and that um, accountability to the client. Because I have this kind of ladder of accountability that I talk about. That the team members they are first and foremost they're accountable to their clients. So everyone has their own portfolio of clients, and you are accountable to the client. And therefore, that team member will do everything they can to please the client. They're not going to want to let down their client. And when you give them that ownership, it gives that it makes them more engaged, they're more fulfilled in what they are doing. And if there's anything that's outside of their skill set, then yes, then we have other people in the team that can go and ask. But like you say, they then go back to the client with the answers. So the client gets, you know, a good good service because as you say, clients don't want to be 
passed from pillar to post. They want one contact, and that's really important for clients in terms of that stability and feeling like somebody understands them and they can get through to them when they need them. So fantastically, you've got that kind of set up as well. So we're, we're out of time now, Riona. It's been, uh, it's just flown by today, this conversation. Uh, lots of good things shared. So what's, uh, just to just to end with, what's, uh, what do you think the um, the future holds for you? What's your what's your plan in the next uh, in the next five years or so? You're still still young, young family, and uh, young at heart, and lots of uh, ideas. I'm sure. What do you feel the next five years holds for you and Majors Accounts? Um, to be honest, I would like my goal is to step away from the business. Um, this is not something that I see myself doing on a on a daily basis. Um, I'd like to build something that can run itself without me having to be there. I'd like in the next two years for it to allow me to, let's say, have meetings once a week with the uh, practice manager, just so if they need that support from me, you know, or extra knowledge, or training, whatever it might be, help them provide solutions for what's going on. I'm there, um, but get to a point where I don't need to be there. My dad, definitely not. <laughs> You know, we've spent, I've spent the last few years, uh, he's gone from seven days a week to two days a week. And even those two days, he's like, I'm not sure what to do. I don't have many people to speak to because everything is, he's like, I don't see anyone. All the work is being done and I'm not speaking to anyone. What's going on? This is so like different, you know. So sometimes he thinks that where is the business because he can't physically see it because so much of it is done online. So, yeah, for him in the next year or so, um, or maybe after a year because I'm currently heavily pregnant <laughs> and due to have a baby in less than a couple of months now. So I might need him there for a couple of days just to help out whilst I'm going to be away for a little bit. Um, but yeah, after that, it, it will be me as well. I don't want to work more than a day a week in this particular um, place. Mm. And then I maybe sell. Yeah. That's Brilliant. Option. <laughs> Exciting times. Well, you're certainly on the right tracks, and uh, on the, and wishing you all the best with uh, with the little one, and hope all goes well on that front. But thank you so much for being a guest on the, today's live. Really appreciate your time. Thank you everyone for watching today. And if you've got any other questions, comments, put them down below. And hopefully, um, if Ariana is about, she will get back to you. Otherwise, if you've enjoyed it, give us a thumbs up, depending on where you are watching. And I'll catch you on the next episode. I hope you got value from that episode. And if you want to spend more time together, where we go deeper on the topics like pricing, marketing, sales, building a team and processes so you can build a firm that is less reliant on you, then come and join the TYP mentoring community. It's my membership program where I deliver practical mentoring sessions from my personal experience of building my practice and share resources that I have created and use in my firm. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel and waste time and money making mistakes like I did. There's an amazing community of 100 plus accountants that you get to meet every week, share challenges, best practices, and use the power of the group to shortcut your learnings. Go to resahooda.com forward slash mentoring to find out more. You're listening to Transform Your Profits, the podcast for accountants who want to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. Your host is Reza Huda, a practice owner, mentor, and coach to accounting firm owners.